You're listening to a podcast of Spurious Morality. Welcome to a podcast of Spurious Morality. I'm Johnston, and I'm joined by Jimmy. Hello. And I am joined by Greg. Hello, everyone. And we are back to talk about the second half of Season 5. We talked about the first half towards the end of last year, and then we've had quite a busy Christmas and review episodes and that kind of thing and of course Joseph Lister joined us last week Uh, but no we're back and we're going to finish off season five and it's it's a little bit strange coming to the second half of the season a while after we've done the first because so far we've kind of recorded them all close together but I'm sure we'll manage we'll be fine um so uh spoilers obviously season five of Doctor Who so We've already done Tomb of the Cybermen to Enemy of the World, so today we will be talking about The Web of Fear, Fury from the Deep, and The Wheel in Space, and we'll be having a little bit of a chat about uh, Victoria as well, a uh, companion who does leave during this run. Um, so let's let's dive straight in. Let's go with um, The Web of Fear, um, which was for a very, very long time obviously missing and it was to a lot of people it was the one they wanted to return i think on its return it was mark gators who described it as the holy grail of missing doctor who and we have five of the six episodes now um it's a shame that we're missing episode three there's a there's obviously a story there of some kind uh, a story that i'm still not entirely sure we've heard all of it supposedly exists uh, we can dream at least um but we have five out of six episodes, and it's. I think it's fair to say that it lived up to its hype. Um, but I'm going to see if Jimmy and Greg agree with me. So, Jimmy, you go first. Yeah, I definitely think it's a brilliant story. I think it did suffer a little bit from being recovered at the same time as Enemy because everyone instantly fell over on how good Enemy was and how much better it was than it was expected to be. But the web of fear, it was like, well, we knew it was probably brilliant, and it is, and so it sort of didn't get that boost, as it were. But, yeah, I think it's a great story. I love the atmosphere in the sets. I remember reading somewhere that apparently the BBC had asked to film in the actual underground and they were denied, and then the episode went out and supposedly the underground people got... Uh, very angry that they'd filmed without permission, but of course they hadn't. They'd just designed the sets that damn well. So um, 
I think they definitely get huge uh, praise for that would be earned. The other thing, of course, being the introduction of the Brigadier, which, well, Colonel at this stage, but, yeah, it was good to have him in it. But at the same time, another thing that suffers is that, of course, these days we know him as the Brigadier, we know he's good, and so the whole trying to, is he or isn't he working for the great intelligence thing does fall apart a bit because it's like we all know he isn't, but um, he still gives an amazing performance and gets a really great introduction, so that's nice. Um, Also, the other thing is it's obviously not as bad as earlier in this season and the last with um, Kemmel and Tobeman, but it does come across a bit Bradley, the, um, uh, I forget his rank, but Evans, the um, Welsh soldier who's, just an absolute coward and absolutely useless. It does come across as a bit, you know, dodgy and insulting portrayal of um, the Welsh, I guess. But, um, yeah, that that was a shame too. But, yeah, such a good story. And I love the ending how you have the intelligence isn't actually beaten. The Jamie stuffed it up and the Doctor couldn't destroy it. And I love that they set it up and left it open that there could be more. And, of course, then we eventually got it in the new series, which was such a surprise after so long but yeah definitely a great story and definitely one I enjoy a lot you did make an interesting point there I think when you said that actually the the sort of hype of its return was dampened by enemy and I agree it was it was sort of disappointingly brilliant the web affair it would probably have been more talked about if it had come back and kind of let us down a bit but we've spent well, we'd spent 45 years at that point talking about how amazing it was and how much we all wanted it to come back. But when it did, it it probably actually exceeded expectations still, but because it was so overhyped and because Enemy was such a pleasant surprise, it probably didn't get its didn't get the full fanfare it deserved. But nevertheless, an excellent story. Yeah. Uh, Greg, what about you? So, you know, I, I agree with Jimmy on a lot of those points. Um, there, there's there's a, definitely a lot to like here, for sure. Um, the, uh, the opening of the story, and I'm not talking about, like, the, the immediate follow-on from Enemy of the World where they're closing the TARDIS doors, but when you get that really, like, creepy scene of Professor Travers trying to get the Yeti back because he's lost the control sphere and he knows it's going to happen, and... Um, excluding the questionable uh, characterization of a greedy shop owner named Silverstein. Not so great. Um, It's really well executed. It's, it's, it's scary. It really seems to be setting the tone for what's to come. Um, As we said, the set design here is fantastic. Um, Introducing Lethbridge Stewart in this way is a great thing too. He's, Obviously now one of the most beloved characters in the history of the show, but the fact that he honestly just turns up in this story wandering around the tunnels in the underground and is set up as this potential villain because we know someone is being controlled by the intelligence. It's almost too obviously him, which is why it's not surprising that it's not him, but uh, Nicholas Courtney gives a really good performance there. Like you, you really don't, get any definitive take from his performance over whether he's a a good guy or not. And then later in the story, um, the whole sequence where he leads 
you know, a, a team of, of troops onto the surface and they get wiped out by the Yeti, that's incredibly well directed. It's well done. And then Courtney's performance after that, in which he's, you know, you can see it just hurts him in his soul that he lost all of his men. Like it, that, that's really good. My only issue with the web of fear just in general, and I wasn't the biggest fan of the story even before it came back, is that it it's just it's too long. There's it it doesn't it doesn't blaze enough new trails, I suppose you could say. Like it it starts out and it's like, oh, this is great, and they're wandering around in the underground tunnels and the you know and the the the, the 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 intelligence is here. The yeti you're wandering around down here. The the, the fungus is, is is spreading and all that. And then just every ten minutes or so, just different sets of characters just walk out into the tunnels and wander around for a while and then come back. And this happens over and over and over and over again. Like you you have this this the period from the end of that creepy intro in episode one to the time that they go to the surface in, I think it's episode five, there's just not a lot happens. And I, and I don't think there's enough atmosphere in the story to really cover for that. Um, that being said, I did like the ending quite a bit. I like the ambiguous ending. And as, as Jimmy said, the fact that that came back decades later in the Matt Smith era was very surprising and very rewarding for longtime fans. So I absolutely am not saying I dislike this episode. It's very good. But I think for me personally, it's a bit overrated. I, I can absolutely understand why you'd think that. And yeah, it, it, it does go on a bit too long. And I was actually surprised when I last watched it, not that long ago, how... Um, how soon some things happened in the story and then not much happened between that and the end. Uh, there was a cliffhanger that I could have sworn would be the end of part five and it was actually the end of part four and that kind of thing. Um, there's definitely some sort of slightly odd pacing stuff going on, but I think that that is, it's made up for by the fact that... Um, well, A, this is in the same season as the Ice Warriors and it's non-stop, rip-roaring and non-repetitive compared to that. But also, the direction is fantastic. The sets are fantastic. It is a very visually brilliant story, which, again, is something that I think fandom has always known and its its reappearance just kind of confirmed that. Um. I'm going to throw a bit of a question at the two of you now, actually. Out of the two that were rediscovered together, Enemy of the World and the Web of Fear, which one is your favourite? Uh, Jimmy, you go first. Yeah, definitely Enemy of the World. I love the Web of Fear, but Enemy of the World, just personally for me, is better in every regard. I, yeah, couldn't possibly not give it the nod for me. Uh, and you, Greg? Same. Uh, I said in the last episode that Enemy of the World is my favorite story of this season, and that hasn't changed after my rewatch of The Web of Fear. Um, I think everything about it from the pacing, and, and while you said that Web of Fear is well-directed, it is, I think Enemy of the World is even better in that regard, and it has that wonderful dual performance from Patrick Troughton. 
um, yeah, if it's enemy of the world all the way for me as well. Uh, well, I'm going to make it three for three because, yeah, enemy as well definitely um, is my preference. And in some ways, I'm quite glad about that. I, I always sort of thought I would like enemy more than web should they both reappear. And then when it happened, uh, it, it was kind of confirmation of what I suspected. But I do think there's a lot to appreciate with web. And I'm very, very glad that we we do have it. Um, and it's the story perhaps with the most... I, I don't know, interesting, divisive um, animation. It's They went with something a bit different, and a bit more 3D, and it kind of caught people off guard at the time. I uh, don't know if either of you want to come in about the animation at all. Uh, yeah, I'll say definitely for the animation that it was a disappointment. I I watched the trailer for it, and I couldn't even watch it. I'm, I love the animations. I love that they reconstruct the past in a different way and you can still get the original performance but that's the only animation I don't like literally even the worst of the rest I would happily watch but this one I just couldn't when I re-watched the story I just I, I'm not good with recons either generally so I just listened to the narrative soundtrack instead and for me as such a big fan of the animation it's um, surprising that that ended up happening but yeah definitely a disappointment for me personally yeah it it wasn't the best. It's not, I don't think it's horrible or anything like that. I mean, it, it ultimately these are just there to provide a visual component to the audio elements of the stories. But yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's disconcerting how unnatural the 3d modeling looks. And if it's between this and not having an animation done, I suppose I would take this, but I, I also like the other ways it's been done much better. I'm in the same boat as you, Greg. It, I, I'm glad the animation exists. I'm glad we do have this visual reference. But I once heard um, somebody describe it as PlayStation 1 graphics, and unfortunately I've not been able to unsee that ever since uh, Ever since that's what I heard. Um, but, yeah, I'm glad it exists. I'm glad we have it animated. And, you know, I love to think that that third episode is still out there and someone's got the mitts on it and maybe one day if we cross our fingers really hard we'll get to see it but in the meantime the animation is what we have and I am more than happy to stick with that for now because it's it's something um well let's move on and we'll move on to um the story that I would consider now to be absolutely top of my missing episodes I'd like to turn up list. Um, I remember sort of when uh, Enemy and Web reappeared at the end of Web, it's got the caption, next week, Fury from the Deep. And I just sort of thought, oh, if only. It'd be incredible. Um, it is a story that has since then been fully animated, though. Um, and it's... It's one of the more interesting animations, I think. I quite like it, but it very clearly embellishes on the actual vi visuals of the story. It kind of goes above and beyond and gives us a bit extra. Um, so Fury from the Deep, Jimmy, what are your thoughts? Yeah, the animation was uh, definitely a good one, I think. Um, I, Yeah, again, as you said, the embellishments and the changes... 
I noticed again, of course, yet another poster of the master being wanted. I think they're sort of overdoing that a bit at this stage. And uh, a bit more subtle and a nice one I noticed was they actually had one of the speakers or something labelled with the IE International Electromatics logo from back in the Invasion animation. So I thought that one uh, instead, well, it's just as much a bit of a... um, tease or um reference for the fans but for some reason i far preferred it because uh invasion is well we'll get to that next season but it's definitely a story i love and one of the best personally the best animation i would say so yeah nice to see a little reference there and of course um the story was really good i um it had been a long time since i'd last heard it and of course i hadn't seen the animation before then so yeah, it was really well handled. They did embellish things, but I think they can afford to since there were no surviving episodes to contrast it with. If it had, like, one episode or two episodes surviving, I don't think they would have been able to do that, and I would have been interested to see how they would have done it instead. But, yeah, a great story, and definitely for Victoria, a great departure. She didn't really get a lot of great material in her time, and... That, that they handled her departure so well in contrast to her earlier material is at least a nice touch and, yeah, a very sad ending and Janie and the Doctor sort of a bit bitter at each other about it with Janie having wanted him to force her to stay and him having not wanted to pressure her when she doesn't want to but still clearly disappointed she's gone. Yeah, I just think the ending of the story was really amazingly well handled and it certainly gives a huge boost to the Victoria stories to have them at least end on such an interesting and well-written, well-acted note. We'll uh, definitely come back to discuss Victoria's departure in more detail shortly um, because, yeah, I agree, it, it's just fantastically done. Um, and it's, But it is very much just sort of the cherry on top of the cake with this story. There's a lot going on. It moves very quickly for a six-parter it has some absolutely fantastic and quite terrifying moments in it it's it sort of ups the scare factor quite a lot more than other doctor who's of the same era um but before i talk more about that greg your go this is the story that i would most like to have back i really enjoyed this it's incredibly creepy it's incredibly atmospheric one thing that jumped out at me honestly when i watched it is this season in general has you know the reputation of being the base under siege season but watching this story right after web of fear it's very similar to the web of fear like both in terms of like the nature of the threat and then just mechanically in terms of like there's a lot of moving around through enclosed spaces while some sort of you know substance is pursuing you um, you know, there's the question of who's possessed and so forth. It's it's a very similar sort of story, but I think the execution here is better than the execution in Web, just because it never really feels repetitive, even though some elements are. And that's because of the direction and well, this what we know of the direction, but it's in large part because of the sound. The sound in this episode is absolutely fantastic. That like throbbing heartbeat noise that they keep coming back to um, just fills you with a sense of dread. It's 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 so well done. Um, from you know from what we've seen, from what little limited visual reference we have, you know the oak and quill scene, like 
if that's the sort of creepy performance that we get throughout the entire story, that would be absolutely fantastic. I, I still think Enemy of the World is my favorite story of the season, but that's because I got to see the whole thing. Whereas if we were to get Fury from the deep back, I, I think that would be, not that it has a, a poor reputation now, but it just has never been as celebrated as Web of Fear. But I think that if we ever had Fury back, it would have just an absolutely stellar reputation. I mean, it, it, a lot is going to depend on what the visuals look like, but I, mean, I think the animation does a really good job of compensating for the fact that we have no visuals. But yeah, I I I, I really enjoy this story. It's it's it's. I, I love atmosphere in my Doctor Who, and this has it. This has tons of it. There is a real sort of claustrophobia there. It feels more claustrophobic than Web of Fear, and you could argue that it's actually quite a less claustrophobic location. You know, there's it, it's it's essentially a whole area of the coast, and there's a helicopter that flies out to some rigs, and you know, a lot of ground is quite literally covered in this story whereas web you are for the most part trapped in the underground in these little service tunnels and uh that kind of thing um but i i agree with you as well that i think if this were to reappear if we were to have four five six episodes of this readily available for us to watch i think it might actually um pass enemy as my favourite as well, but I've got Enemy to watch in its original form and 10 years down the line, I still haven't quite got over that novelty. Um, and it is it it is a fantastic story. And I'd always, always said that Enemy and Fury were the two that I wanted to reappear the most. I think you're absolutely right about the claustrophobia and the fact that it shouldn't be claustrophobic because of the scale of it, but it is. And again, I think that's down to the sound design, but I also think it's because they they managed to succeed in the 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 way that sometimes horror movies struggle is that the the foam like is moving like through this base in the middle of the day in broad daylight and breaking into houses and so forth. So even though it's it's much more expansive setting than Web of Fear, like it feels like the characters are just under constant threat. Yeah, and then uh, you know you mentioned the heartbeat as well. That's just that just adds to it. This this sense that they're completely surrounded by the enemy, which they are in the you know the main location, the uh, the refinery. Uh, but yeah, very excellent story. And as Jimmy mentioned, it's obviously uh, the story in which Victoria departs the TARDIS, and uh, it's given an awful lot of sort of time to develop you know you see throughout the story her becoming more and more unhappy with the way her life is being scared all the time she stops and has a chat to Jamie about it and there's a real sense throughout the story that Victoria's going to stop doing this it's not just a okay dodo off you go to the country or oh look we're back in our own time bye for one scene at the end this is a very carefully and well thought out companion departure. Uh, the first in quite a while, uh, just before we started recording, we actually said that we're looking at either Susan 
or Ian and Barbara in Dalek Invasion of Earth of the Chase. Um, we're looking that far back to when we last had such a good companion exit. So uh, let's let's talk about Victoria in general and uh, how how she does depart in this story. So Jimmy, you go first. I think she was an interesting character, despite her flaws and faults. I mean, it, they they do hammer home through her time, and especially in this last story, how upset she is and how hard she is finding it to cope in the TARDIS and in her travels. But she does have a few moments scattered throughout her tenure where she excels, like when she, back in Tomb of the Cybermen, when she does the fake screen to scare Captain after the real one had worked earlier. And I think the thing with Victoria is that she had a lot of potential that didn't get used as well. Like, I think the fact that she was a historical companion like Jamie, but um, unlike him, she's from a slightly later period. And so I think they could have done more by showing the contrast between them and, like, you know, she's from history, but to Jamie, she's from the far future. And so... I think they underused a lot of the potential that she had, and I think that's a bit of a shame. But, um, yeah, I think she did well with the material that she got. Um, It's a shame that she didn't get a bit more of a chance to be in control and to know what she was doing and be a bit more confident. But it also works well because it does lead to this ending, which is really powerful and really well handled, which is a nice surprise in this era where, you know, it's a bit hit and miss which companions are going to get a good exit and which aren't, and so she lucked out there. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, I mean, really all it took was writer, script editor actually thinking, okay, we've got a regular departing here. How can we, how can we make that matter and how can we make it part of the story? And while they did do that with... Um, Dalek Invasion of Earth and the Chase, I don't think they actually managed to build up to it particularly well. We did get the really nice scenes at the end. We got the departure. But what we didn't get was five episodes beforehand of characters kind of questioning, you know, their life and whether they're happy in the life that they have in the TARDIS and all that kind of thing. Um, And I think that that's something that's done here that, actually probably isn't really done much more after this. The Green Death, perhaps. Um, But yeah, Greg, what are your thoughts? Well, first of all, uh, one thing that I think is interesting about Victoria is that she is the only 1960s companion where we have an official BBC reconstruction or actual release of every single one of her episodes. She, we can't say that about anyone else, you know, because of Marco Polo or because of the two, although now the Crusade does have on the Blu-ray, which of course isn't out in this country yet. But yeah, it's, a, it's, the, it's the only 60s companion where you can sit down and with official DVD or Blu-ray, Blu-ray releases, watch her entire run. And what what strikes me about it is that simultaneously, she is not well served at all in general by her characterization, but her characterization makes sense almost in spite of itself. Um, She is reduced to screaming in terror in more episodes. It's, it's, it's really not 
not fair to the character. It's it's not fair to the actor. You know, they they really could have done more with her. And 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 like Jimmy said, there are moments where she shows like, oh, there's potential here. Like you know, she's got a different perspective. Like she has an insight into something that no one else did. But they never really play that up, and she's back to being captured or screaming relatively soon. However, in terms of, of what we know about her character, that, that makes sense. I mean, we, I talked about this a little bit in season four with Evil of the Daleks. You know, she's she's a kid, first of all. I mean, she's intended to be like a teenager. You know, a lot of the companions are supposed to be, you know, 18, 19, 20. She's supposed to be like 15, and there's a, a big difference in, you know, in, in maturity and experience there. And because of this she doesn't react well to everything that happens to her. And she has some of the worst experience of any Doctor Who companion. I mean, remember, when we meet her, she has been imprisoned and mentally tortured by the Daleks for who knows how long. And from there, everywhere the TARDIS lands, they're immediately in in some sort of horrible danger. Um, Now, I know we've, of course, as we've done with every other companion, introduced a bunch of missing stories into the the TV series. But from the way that she talks in Fury from the Deep, it really sounds like what we've seen on TV is it, because she very explicitly says that everywhere they go, everywhere they land, it's just horrible danger. So it's hard to say that they've actually had times when they've landed somewhere and it hasn't been immediately life-threatening. I can see why she doesn't like it and her reactions throughout Fury from the Deep, a story in which, by the way, the monster is defeated by her being terrified and screaming at it. It makes perfect sense. And and then to see, you know, her reaction juxtaposed against the Doctor and Jamie, who are kind of enjoying themselves, like, I can see why she leaves. And I think that's the most... That's the best companion departure in in terms of just the character thus far for me. Um, not that I have anything against you know Susan or Ian or Barbara's departures, but but like you said, you know this one is is set up and played out in so much more detail. You know Ian and Barbara, for example, we we know from day one that they want to go home, right? That's that's what they constantly say, and so when they see the opportunity to leave and go back to their home time, they take it. And that's great. But we don't, you know, the chase is not seeded through with like these moments of, of Ian and Barbara, like having, you know, these serious doubts about, you know, are we even enjoying this? Like, do you know, are, is this even for us? Whereas here it's, it's, it's very good characterization. And it's, it's just a shame that they couldn't have put this kind of effort into Victoria's character in her other stories, because if they had done that, she would be one of the greatest companions. But as it stands, she's unfortunately a missed opportunity. I think that it's, there's no doubt that Victoria should be, and is remembered as a screamer, Um, you know, a character that doesn't really adapt to her situation of traveling in the TARDIS very well. She's obviously very good friends with Jamie and the Doctor. And there are these occasional hints that, you know, something could blossom between her and Jamie. You know, there are these moments Jamie obviously fancies her and 
you know, there are bits where they're, they're paired up as girlfriend and boyfriend while undercovering enemy of the world. And uh, there are just lots of little hints that there could be more to Victoria's character than there is. But I think one thing that we sort of do have to acknowledge, really, before we move on is she has some fantastic character moments. You know, the little moments where, like, the, the obvious one is uh, the Doctor and Victoria in Tomb of the Cybermen, when the whole story pauses for five minutes and Victoria talks to the Doctor about the, frankly, horrific trauma that had befallen her in the months leading up to it, with all the stuff with the Daleks and that kind of thing. Um, she does have other moments and builds other friendships like this through her run. Um, uh, there's Tomney, the monkey in Abominable Snowmen, you know, she she sort of gets on quite well with him and then sort of betrays him a bit to escape at one point in one of the many, many let's leave the monastery, let's go back to it sequences in that story. So I think the thought of treating Victoria as a character as opposed to just a screamer was there probably all along, but I don't think it was really properly um, used in the right way until this story. And I think it is something that makes Fury from the Deep particularly unique, particularly interesting, because while you have a really, really good atmospheric monster story going on, you've also got a character or a companion even, a main character, getting some absolutely fantastic scenes, fantastic moments, and perhaps being developed in a way that no other companion has been before, and getting this ending that certainly no companions have before set up. And like I say, there are very, very few examples in sort of classic Doctor Who of a companion getting that in their final story. Um, let's let's move on. So we've said goodbye to Victoria, and we are heading into our second Cyberman story of the year. Um, the Cybermen, I think, at this point, it's very fair to say, are the main villains in Doctor Who. The Daleks were phased out at the end of season four. We had the evil of the Daleks, which is, as we agreed, Doctor Who's first conscious season finale his first big epic at the end of the season um i suppose one of the questions we have to ask about wheel is does it live up to that it is a it's a end of season story it's by the same writer and it features the most prominent doctor who villains of the time so i think it's a fair comparison um but generally the wheel in space jimmy what do you think I think it's an underrated story. I um, I think it's one of the better ones of this season. I I keep flip-flopping back and forth on whether I'd say Wheel is the best or Enemy is the best. But, um, yeah, Wheel makes a nice change. I mean, we've had Victoria's stories where she's, you know, constantly traumatised and now she's gone. It's a bit like the show can try to enjoy itself a bit more again and Zoe just instantly shines from the moment she appears. She's such an interesting character and that whole contrast between her personality sort of not being fully formed yet because she's more facts and figures and numbers, but you still see the, um, the intelligence and the, um, 
sort of self-confidence and it just makes such a nice contrast to Victoria and of course I mean it's always sad to see a companion go and a new companion come in but Zoe just instantly takes centre stage so well and the story is so good. I think the it the one thing that it sort of suffers for is not having been animated yet or better yet recovered but um, I think having to listen to most of it just as the narrated audio it's a bit harder to keep the concentration fully but um i think when and if it's animated i think this story will go up in a lot of people's estimations i think it's um yeah got a lot of good things in it to recommend it that usually get forgotten but yeah absolutely it's zoe's first story and zoe is the highlight she gets such a brilliant introduction. She instantly fits into this team and smuggling herself in at the end is just a nice touch that they both, you know, the Doctor and Jamie are both not so sure about, oh, should we take a new companion? Because they're both still a bit traumatised over Victoria having left under such a cloud. But Zoe doesn't wait for them to accept her. She just jumps in and says she's coming and coming along and they they both have to accept it and I like that the Doctor gets that excuse for the repeat to show her how dangerous things can be and show her what Daleks are like and I, I think it was a really clever idea to work having a repeat into the actual into the actual process of the current story and lead in and do it in universe. So I think that was a really clever idea and it also serves to give Zoe a bit more of a chance to, you know, become the companion straight away. She doesn't need to have her first story picking up what it's like and adapting to this new situation. She's already seen what it's like and she can just sort of jump straight in. So, yeah, I definitely think this is one of the more underrated stories of this era and, yeah, I hope it gets recovered or animated soon because I think it'll go up in my estimation and fandoms in general a lot when, when and if that happens. There's certainly an awful lot to enjoy in Wheel. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff that you've mentioned, Zoe's introduction is really well handled. And I kind of feel that we don't quite get the character that is set up here throughout season six. It's something we'll discuss kind of as we go on uh, with these episodes. But um, yeah, I think it's really solid. The only thing that kind of stands out to me as maybe not being so good is that first episode, which is, for the most part, just the Doctor and Jamie wandering around a spaceship. It's it's kind of a throwback to early, very early stuff, you know, the first couple of seasons where, for the first episode, the regulars would just explore a space and, in the nicest possible way, not much happens. Uh First episode of the Sensorites is the one that kind of springs to mind. It is just the regulars poncing about a spaceship for a good chunk of it. Um, I don't quite know why we get that with Wheel. It's not for budgetary reasons. The rest of the cast are still there. They pop up for a couple of scenes towards the end of the episode. So it's not like, let's do a cheap episode at the start that just has the Doctor and Jamie in. It's It just seems a bit of an anomaly and it's a bit of a throwback to something that the series seems to have sort of moved beyond at this point. When you think about some of the first episodes we've had 
uh, this season. You know, the Tomb of the Cybermen, it sets up loads. You have these amazing sets. You have a really good group of characters. Um, look at the Web of Fear. It's really dark and atmospheric. Uh, first episode of Enemy of the World, it's hugely action-packed. Fury from the Deep, you've got um, the setup of the location and again characters and you even get um to see the monster at the end of the first episode you know in six parters we barely ever see the monster at the end of the first episode it takes a little little longer for them to come in um it does happen a few times this series admittedly but uh, quite a bit happens whereas in wheel in space it is just the doctor and jamie poncing about a spaceship and very little on top of that happens um and really it's just setting up for the doctor to be unconscious for the entirety of the second episode so not much happens there either um greg what are your thoughts on it well just to pick up right from what you were just saying i mean i i I think this is i don't think it's just the first episode that's distinct from the rest of the story i think this is more like a two-parter followed by a four-parter um because the first two episodes are almost entirely about the doctor and jamie being on the rocket getting to the wheel the people on the wheel finding out who they are what they're doing there you know and there's a hint that there's some sort of you know problem going on behind the scenes and of course at the end of episode two is when we see the cyberman's fist punch its way out of the sphere and okay now we know where this is going um i enjoyed this story quite a bit it's got this reputation for being really boring and slow and dull and i don't think it is i mean it it certainly seems like it could be you know it's you're going back to the you know, the, the, the Kit Peddler, you know, Jerry Davis formula of we've got a some sort of installation in the future and then it's besieged by the Cybermen. You know, they, they got away from that in, in Tomb a little bit by actually moving it to a cyber planet. But the format here is very similar to the 10th planet in the moon base. But the difference between this and those stories is this one has David Whitaker punching it up and does just a, a fantastic job. Like what keeps this going is the characterization. There's actual relationships between the characters. They have actual personalities and skills. There's there's conflict between them. There's there's just interesting things going on. So the the, the dialogue scenes aren't just there to pad things out between Cyberman scenes. There's actually elements that are are being set up and then being resolved. And I, I think that works really well. Um, I. I also, you, you said, you know, Zoe doesn't quite end up being the character that we're introduced to here. And I think that's understating it a little bit. Zoe is explicitly contrasted with the Cybermen or compared to the Cybermen, honestly. I mean, it, the story makes a point that she, you know, really struggles to experience emotion that, you know, she's been trained by machines um, they're, they're, they're setting up, you know, this point of comparison as to, you know, are, are, is, is humanity in the way that it's like training, you know, their young people, is that similar to cyber conversion? It's not really, um, it's never spelled out in, you know, in, in big bold letters as, is so much of, of classic who often did. But, um, I, I thought that was really interesting. And I think that character going forward would have been a lot more interesting than the 
oh, she's pretty for a computer, you know, sort of thing that we ended up getting. But in general, um, Wheel in Space, very good. And I watched the Loose Cannon Recon for this, and it's it's quite good. They have a, a ton of computer animation to, like, make the story move. They actually got a hold of Cyberman costumes, and they have a few scenes that they shot, like, reshot themselves for the recon. Like, it's it's a it's a much more interesting and dynamic reconstruction than just the simple, you know, series of slides with captions. Um, I, I like this story. I, I don't know why it has the reputation it does. I, I think, especially for a six-part story, it, it really, you know, once you get out of those first two episodes, like the last four feel almost like a separate thing, and, and it really moves quickly, I think. I like it. I do have to agree that, you know, after sounding a little bit down on the first two episodes, particularly the first one, the four episodes at the end of the story are absolutely brilliant. It is a great Cyberman story. It kind of pulls out all the tropes. It, um, you know, gives us Cybermats possibly at the best. You know, they are they're sneaking around and sabotaging. They're not openly just turning up and attacking like they do in Tomb and like they are hinted not to in revenge but that's all we actually see is a cybermat attacking in the open in front of everybody it's you sort of wonder how in that story an entire crew's being wiped out without anybody noticing um but keeping it keeping it back at uh, wheel yeah those final four episodes are brilliant and we get some of Troughton's best performances out of them as well he seems to really up his game when confronting these cybermen i think that there was a huge effort being made by all to at that point in the show's history go nope these guys are the new daleks and they're just as terrifying and the stakes are upped whenever they appear um but do do you guys think that the sort of comparison i made before to evil of the daleks is you know big big season finale do you think it's fair and which story do you think succeeds at being the better season finale jimmy you go first so between this and evil of the daleks well i'd um oh that's a tough one i think they both succeed but they're very different stories despite the similarities i mean the daleks versus the cybermen you know victoria being introduced versus um Zoe being introduced and I think they both do what they set out to do really well. I think they're both slightly too long, which I don't usually see as a complaint. I usually love the chance to get more character stuff and stuff that most people would call padding. I can sometimes enjoy with when it's, it fixes the characters up and makes them more interesting. But um, yeah, I think they're both similar in that way. The stories are slightly longer than they should be. The new companion is introduced and I think Zoe definitely gets a better introduction than Victoria did because of the situation Victoria was placed in, obviously. But And I've always preferred the Cybermen to the Daleks personally. Um, so, yeah, Cybermen and Zoe easily wins it over the Daleks and Victoria for me. But, yeah, I do definitely see the positives in both stories. And what about you, Greg? I'm going to disagree a little bit here. I'm going to take the other track. Evil of the Daleks is probably my favorite Troughton story. And in terms of the question of which one works better as an epic season finale, I think it really has to go to Evil because of the fact that that story is 
consciously trying to be the final Dalek story. Like we've got, you know, the return to Scarrow, we've got the Dalek Civil War. Like there's nothing on that scale in Wheel in Space. Like I, 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 as we just said, I like Wheel, but, you know, watching that, I don't get the sensation of like, oh, this is the season finale. Like this is the, this is the epic conclusion to what we've been watching. It feels like another base under siege story in, in a line of them. Whereas evil of the Daleks is, a, is its own thing. And I love that story. So it's kind of hard for me to give you an unbiased answer here. It's an interesting point actually. And I'd go as far to say that really the, the season finale for season five is probably actually fury from the deep. That's, you know, it's the one with the atmosphere. It's the one that has more scale to it. You know, it's, as we've said, it's despite it being a base under siege, the base is pretty big. Uh, and the area that the story takes place across is pretty big. And of course we get all the stuff with Victoria in some ways. Wheel feels tacked on and perhaps a little more of a prologue for season six yeah it's definitely more of a season opener than a season finale despite its position in the schedule Uh, but of course they went on and recorded two more stories as part of season five afterwards anyway so there's there's kind of no real logic to how any of that works um but nevertheless i have Thoroughly enjoyed going through season five. I do think that Wheel in Space is a great story, and it's you know I'm glad it's it is there, and I'm glad it's part of this season. It fits in a lot more with this season than what goes on in season six because it is a base under siege story, and that's what we've had for the most part. Um, but that is all we have time for. We'll leave it there. Uh, obviously, we'll be returning in the not too distant future with season six, which I'm thoroughly looking forward to there is some great stuff in there um and of course we will be saying goodbye to the second doctor when we do that um but as i say that's a month or so off so for now i will just say goodbye to jimmy see you later looking forward to the next season already and goodbye to greg I can see color Doctor Who in the distant horizon, but we've got one more season to go in the black and white era, and I can't wait. It's going to be great to talk about indeed, and yet we are not too far off that color. Um, And the end of the 60s, even. Uh, But until next time, I'll say goodbye. Bye now.